Hello, fans of the beautiful game. Welcome to episode 19 of the DKB Footy Show. I'm your host, David Ballet, here once again to discuss the events regarding the beautiful game that took place over the past week. We had the Champions League, we had league games, the Europa League, and also a lot of um, off football, well, sorry, outside the pitch news regarding the interesting football leaks that have been that, that have been being published on several um, newspapers and several websites over the past week week or two. Um, I'll get back to that later on in the podcast. But first of all, I think it's only right that we start off with the Champions League. It was another interesting round of fixtures. We had the first game in the second round of the of the group stage. And I'd like to start off with the Juventus versus Manchester United match, which ended up being Juventus 1, Manchester United 2. United pulling a huge coup, what, we, what you call a smash and grab. That was literally what United did to win that match. And I was so shocked. Everybody obviously was shocked as well. Nobody really gave United any chance of getting anything out of this match. If there was any indication to go by after the first leg, most would have predicted that the second that the second leg, or will I say the second the return fixture, since it's still the group stage, the return fixture would have probably ended worse than the one nil result that Juventus got at Old Trafford. But it wasn't to be. But that was not because United played, like outplayed Juventus particularly. I think Juventus definitely outplayed United and should have won the game. They created enough chances to win that game. I'm talking Clerker chances, the um, sitter that Kadira missed in the first half. We're talking about the ball that hit the bar from Paulo Dybala. We're talking about the other chance that Juan Cuadrado missed. And if they had taken up all of those chances, it would have definitely been a different game. But they didn't, and United got the win. And it was in pure United fashion, old school Ferguson United fashion, getting the win very, very late on with like about six or seven minutes to play, including stoppage time. That was just incredible. Um, well, I guess there's just something about Manchester United playing in Turin because the last time United came back from behind to beat Juventus was in the 1999 season, and we all know how that one ended. Uh, but yeah, Juve definitely deserved to win this match, in all honesty. But I will say, though, that despite the fact that Juventus actually did outplay United, I think United did very well to hang on to that match and to still have a fighting chance up until the dying minutes. I mean, yes, Juventus created good chances, but at the same time, the way United controlled the ball, like the way United operated when they were on possession, was a lot better than they did at Old Trafford. They didn't really create any clear-cut chances, but I think that was more due to the fact that 
in the attacking third, the um well first of all, there was really no aerial presence with Lukaku being injured and Sanchez being played down the middle with Martial on the other wing and and Lingard on the other wing. Definitely United didn't have any tall players in the attack to really exploit well not even exploit because Juventus defenders are so huge. But to even give a chance of getting anything from crosses and set pieces. So I think if we had had on top of that, we um United doesn't even have any good wingers that can cross a ball. Because there were some chances where a good delivery could have actually led to something. I mean, United's movement on the ball was actually not that bad at all. If I, if you're comparing it to the other games that they've played against, really, really quality of position. I would say United actually did play better. They were good on the ball, not so bad on the ball. Um, they did quite well not to allow too many chances for Ronaldo. But he still got the goal, and what a beautiful goal it was. I mean, getting a one-time volley from a pass that's coming from... that With, with a lob pass, with the ball coming from your back, above your head, having the timing and the skill to actually hit that ball as well as he did, that was just world-class, elite standard. I mean, Ronaldo is just something incredible. He keeps on doing this time and time again for every club that he plays for. And it's just beautiful and amazing to watch. But yeah, this goal was just like the difficulty. I guess it didn't look so extravagant as other goals that he has scored. But in terms of difficulty and execution, that is definitely right up there with the best goals he has ever scored. In my opinion, I think it was a more difficult goal to score than the overhead kick he scored in the Champions League against Juventus last season. And it was just, yeah, that was just an incredible goal. And I'm sure a lot of United fans were upset with the way he celebrated. Like, what the what the fuck was that? Showing off his abs. Like, who doesn't know you have abs, Ronaldo? Like, what are you doing? Part of me felt that he didn't even, like, maybe he was just so overjoyed that he didn't know the celebration to give. And another part of me is like, no, this is Ronaldo, Mr. Narcissist. He knew exactly what he was doing. But that being said, as a United fan, I wasn't really so upset because it wasn't really like an over-the-top celebration. And I did notice him, like, realizing that he was celebrating against his former team. And I saw him, like, give an apologetic gesture to the away fans and i appreciate that because i know like it's really not in his character to celebrate scoring goals against his former teams he's never really done that before but yeah he got the goal an amazing goal and after that i honestly still had a glimmer of hope because i was like if juventus have missed all these chances and it took like that kind of wonder goal to really beat the hair then maybe there was something in it for them for United and in recent matches we've been coming back from behind I guess like all of our wins over the last like few weeks have all been come from behind wins with the exception of the Everton win and yeah free kick on the edge of the box 86th minute was it well Juan Mata did the trick he did the magic he 
scored a beautifully executed free kick. He had the ability to lift the ball above the wall and below the posts in really in a really short distance. And it was a very well hit free kick, I believe. And then a few minutes later, another free kick. This one was further away, but with a chance for a good delivery. And a good delivery it was. And the Juventus defenders just got confused and it was an absolute scramble and the ball ended up in the back of the net. What a crazy result. United got that win away from home and they are definitely now in the driving seats to qualify from the group. If they hadn't won this match or had gotten just a draw, they would have been level with with Valencia, who they still have to play away from home. And it would have been tough. But now that they won this match, they are definitely favorites to qualify from this group. Juventus are fine also because, I mean, if they had won the match, they would have automat- automatically qualified. But despite the loss, they are still top of the group and should have no problem dispatching Valencia when they come to their stadium and dispatching of young boys. And what about Mourinho, though? This guy, (laughs) he had to just do something to trigger the home fans after getting that win, copping up his ear to the fans and like and basically saying what like what were you saying beforehand you had something to say before like i got the win now like what the hell do you have to say now after all the abuse that he faced after the match he came out and said that oh that he faced a lot of abuse from the fans and that was just his way of getting back at them and in all fairness i don't really have an issue with that i mean it's just typical Mourinho Mourinho antics that's why he's so loved and that's why he's so hated at the same time and personally yeah i don't i don't really see any issue with what he did i mean fair enough most coaches would have taken the moral high ground and just been like okay i got the win for you guys to just shut up and i'm just gonna take my three points and go home but we all know Mourinho is not a typical coach and he didn't really do anything like he didn't do anything over the top. He didn't go around just like hurling any insults at the fans like he like he did after the Newcastle win. And he also didn't like run around the whole pitch sliding and celebrating like he did all those years back when he beat Barcelona. So yeah, I don't really see any issue. I think like what really blew it potentially out of proportion was when Bonucci took up issue with him and like try to approach him but apart from that i really don't see any issue with with what he did and also um i guess it's just because it's Mourinho. that's why so many people are complaining but that i mean that's always expected i, I don't think there's really not an issue here it wasn't a big deal he just copped his ear to the away to the away fans and he's just really trying to show that oh the special one is still alive. He's not dead. And yeah, it's good to see. It's good to see. Maybe that means Mourinho's getting his old mojo back. Who knows? But that being said, United were quite lucky to get the win. But I don't think they were as lucky as everybody's making it out to seem. I don't think they really were that poor. I think I think they've definitely played worse this season and still won. 
And like I said, yeah, on the ball, they were a lot better than they have been against bigger sides, bigger opposition. And let's see if this is a harbinger for what's to come. Next match, we had Napoli 1-PSG 1. As I said last week, this was actually a must-win match for PSG if they wanted to have any chance of qualifying from the group. I was of the opinion that if they were not able to get a win, then Liverpool and Napoli would have been firmly in the driving seats for qualification from the group. But it wasn't to be because Liverpool had to go and do their own madness. But I'll get back to that in just a minute. Let's just talk about the Napoli-PSG match. I think Napoli was actually the better team. I think they deserved to get the win. In the first half, they were not as fluid as they usually were, but they still created more clear-cut chances than PSG were able to. And PSG got the breakthrough through Juan Bernat uh, in the dying minutes of the first half. And then in the second half, Napoli just like like made PSG absolutely biteless, absolutely um absolutely just defending. They were just defending. They didn't really know what to do. Once Napoli started their high press once again, PSG just had no answers for it. They could not come out of their own half. They barely were able to. Napoli kept on creating so many chances. They created enough chances to come out with all three points in this match, but it wasn't to be. They eventually got their equalizer through Lorenzo Insigne's second-half penalty. He was actually the best player on the pitch, in my opinion. He ran the show. Most of the attacks were all down to his his brilliance on the ball, his link-up play with with Mertens and the other players. And, and yeah, Napoli were quite unlucky if they had gotten this win then I would have definitely still said that PSG have no chance of qualification. But they got the draw. Head-to-head with PSG, they are still ahead. But they still have to face Liverpool away from home, and then they face Red Star at home. So I think that should be at least a guaranteed three points. But against Liverpool, that's definitely going to be a tough one for them. PSG as well are going to play against Red Star and against Liverpool. They're going to play against Liverpool in Paris. So at least they have more of their destiny, their own control. But they are still third in the group. And if I was still to predict, I would say Liverpool and Napoli are going to qualify from this group. But Liverpool, oof, they lost 2-0 to Red Star Belgrade. What the flying fuck? was that performance. They were so abysmal. They were horrible. This match could have actually ended more than 2-0. Milan Pavkov, like before Tuesday, who would have even known about this guy's name? But now he got the brace against Liverpool and it was a brilliant brace talking about the header and then that absolute belter that um, he used to get the brace. And Liverpool just looked clueless, like they were so poor. I mean, this season is supposed to be the season where Jurgen Klopp shows that all the progress that he's made is actually going to end up leading to something tangible, something like a, like silverware. He has to get some silverware. Like, let's just be frank. It's not enough to play beautiful football. 
you have to win something. And this match just really like it was just it was just not a good performance from them against the weakest team in the group. Guaranteed three points. I mean, yes, granted, they also were able to get a draw against Napoli when Napoli came to their stadium. But still, like, come on, you don't lose 2-0 to Red Star. It was literally their first ever, this was their first ever Champions League win in their history. And it came against Liverpool. I mean, like, they, their fans must have been so ecstatic, just going crazy. And they actually have four points in the group now, which is very, very interesting because PSG have five points, Red Star have four points, Napoli have seven points, I believe. Yes, they Napoli have six points actually because they they drew against PSG twice against Red Star once and then they beat Liverpool, so they have six. And Liverpool are on five points because they beat PSG. They lost twice to they they lost to Napoli and to these guys. So so yeah, so Napoli's on six, Liverpool is also on six because they've gotten two wins. But yeah, this group is a just a straight toss up. This is a very tough group. It's very very going to be very very tough to call who qualifies. Like there you like the a case can be made for Napoli to go through and for them not to. The case can be made for PSG and a case can be made for Liverpool. So it's going to be interesting to see who qualifies from this group. But yeah. And then next match, Bayern Munich BAEK Athens, two goals to nil. Lewandowski got a double. Good win for them. They are still neck and neck with Ajax in that group, but they're ahead with um through goal difference. But they should be able to qualify from the group. Atletico Madrid beat Dortmund two goals to nil. They were able to get some revenge on that mauling that they got the other game where they lost 4-0 to Dortmund in the Signal Iduna Park. They were able to get some good revenge beating Dortmund this time two goals to nil. Nice goal from Griezmann to um, seal the win. And now it's... Well, they're, they're neck and neck also in the group. Dortmund are ahead by head-to-head. And we all know they're both going to qualify from the group. It's all about who ends first and who comes second. Then we had Inter Milan 1, Barcelona 1. Malcolm got his first Barcelona goal to put Barcelona ahead. And then Icardi got the equaliser, as he always does, always coming up with the goods. So Barcelona, though, they clearly outplayed Inter from start to finish. They should have won this game. And they weren't able to, but they're still in the driver's seat in this group and should still be able to win it comfortably because Spurs have just been doing Spursy things in the group and Inter Milan have won two of their games, drawn one, and are three points below Barca. And I think it's probably going to stay this way. But Barcelona, without Messi, this um, they've won every match without Messi and drawn this match. So they've been so impressive, even without the their star in the team. And yeah, that's it for that match. And then we had PS, um, we had Spurs who defeated PSV two goals to one. Spurs finally getting their first win win in the group. They are on four points now. 
and I still don't really see them qualifying. But it was a good win for them, a comeback from behind win, actually, because PSV got the shocking first goal. So they took the lead through Luke de Jong in the first half, in the second minutes or third minutes of the game. And then it took a hurricane double to get all three points for Spurs. But I think that's just too little too late, unfortunately. Like Spurs, they didn't take the chances in the first match against PSV. And they didn't take their chances against Inter Milan. Both games, that they were definitely the better team and should have won. They should be on nine points in this group right now, challenging for first place with Barcelona. But all indications show that they might not even qualify from the group. So that's just really sad for them. They really need to get some more mental toughness. They just need to become tougher mentally to be able to go, get through games where they definitely deserve to win because I can't count how many matches, especially in the Champions League, that they've just thrown away in the dying minutes. It's just a repeated pattern that they have to get over. Um, yeah, so we had Victoria Pilsen nil, Real Madrid 5. Solari's third match in charge, third straight win. And his most convincing win so far, he led them to a win with goals from Benzema. Benzema got two goals. He scored the first and third goal. Casemiro scored the second goal. Bill scored the fourth goal. And Tony Cruz got the fifth goal. And yeah, it was a very comprehensive win for Real Madrid. But it was against Victoria Pilsen, who we all expected them to beat. And Solari, though, it's good for him. If he wants to keep this job, it appears that... So after the the game over the weekend in La Liga, Real Madrid's board are going to make a definitive decision whether they're going to keep him permanently till the end of the season or give him a permanent contract or decide to go somewhere else. So this definitely did him a lot of favors and it looks like he's going to get the job at least till the end of the season, which I think is the right decision. Another side note in this match was Sergio Ramos. He elbowed a Victoria Pilsen player, which led to a broken nose and blood coming out from the nose. And several replays show that it was definitely a very intentional elbow from Ramos. And this isn't the first time he's doing it. He did it in the Champions League final last season to Karius. He injured Salah. And he just has a nasty, nasty streak. He has a nasty track record of doing things like this. Sometimes you can applaud it because, well, okay, I'm not going to say applaud because it should never be applauded, but it's understandable at times because it helps his team. But in this case, it really wasn't like helping anybody. It just seemed like he was, it just looked completely malicious from Ramos. I mean, what what did he really gain from elbowing that guy? It wasn't like it was a dangerous goal-scoring opportunity that the guy was in. It was a definitely a very un- innocuous position of the pitch. And he just had to elbow him. I don't know if it's just instinct or what, but he needs to get that out of his game. At this point, I doubt he will. And he actually came out and apologized, in fact, for the elbow. He said he didn't mean to injure him. But in my opinion, that's just bullshit. I think he definitely did. But that being said, he, um, he, yeah, he just has his nasty streak. And we all know that he's all about it. 
most red cards in Real Madrid history, most red cards in La Liga history. It's just no surprise that he does this. But he did, he got away with it. And in my opinion, there should definitely be retrospective action taken against him because the referee did not see it. So this gives UEFA a perfect opportunity to set a mark and say they will not tolerate any such unsportsmanlike behavior. And he should definitely get a ban, at least a one-match ban. He should not be able to play the next match. But I don't really think that's going to happen because I haven't seen any indication of that on the news. I haven't seen any UEFA investigation being opened. So I think Ramos got away once again. Manchester City versus Shakhtar. That ended up with another absolute mauling. Manchester City putting six goals past Shakhtar Donetsk at the Etihad Stadium. Was goals from David Silva, Gabriel Jesus, hat-trick, very, very well-needed hat-trick, Raheem Sterling, Mares as well, got on the score sheet. And yeah, this was a very straightforward win for Manchester City. They totally outplayed Shakhtar as we all expected. And these guys are just going from strength to strength. Arguably, I would say that they're actually better than they were last season. Because the number of goals that they're scoring, last season they scored a lot of goals, but it wasn't as consistently as they're doing this season. I think if you look at the number of goals they've scored, they've definitely outscored what they did last season at this same point. They have as many points, if not more points, that they had last season in the league. And yeah, these guys are definitely Champions League favorites. But yeah, another interesting side note from this match was the penalty that Raheem Sterling won where he seemed to clip his own foot, went down. Referees didn't see it. Referee thought it was a foul by the by the Shakhtar defender and gave a penalty. A lot of people are saying that Sterling should have been the bigger man, should have come out honestly and told the ref that, that it was not a foul, that he's the one who actually tripped on himself and should have basically asked for the penalty not to be awarded. But for me, honestly, I don't really see any issue with it because, I, yes, okay, maybe it was a match that they would have won either way, but it was only 1-0 at that time. So City definitely needed the goals to get into the driving seat of the match. I guess if it was like if it was a penalty to make it like 4 or 5-0, I can understand. I can probably say, yeah, Sterling should have been honest. I probably would have been honest in that case. But trust me, if it was uh, if it was like still one nil, or two nil, and I have a chance, I'll be unfairly to get another goal. I'm gonna take it. I'm sorry. It's a football game, it's a competitive sport, and it's just part of life. That's just how life is. I mean, yes, we don't want to see that being the norm in soccer, but I don't really. I don't take anything away from Stoney. I don't think he's a dishonest person for doing that. I think most other professional players would have done it. I have seen a few instances in the past with players like Robbie Fowler, with Miroslav Klose as well, and some other guys, Paulo Di Canio, being very sportsmanlike. And either maybe a player gets injured and they say, oh, let's stop the match, even when they have a good goal-scoring chance or when a penalty is awarded and the penalty should not have been awarded. I have seen players go up front to the referee and say, let's not do it. And I'm going to say that those guys are angels. Those players are just good-hearted people. But 
if it was me, I would do it. I would definitely take that penalty and score. I'm sorry. It's football. It's a competition. Sometimes calls go in your favor. Sometimes they go against you. All you can do is take advantage of what goes in your favor. And also, yeah, some are saying that that the referee, um, even if Sterling had gone to the referee to tell the referee that it was not a penalty, the referee would have still awarded the penalty because his decision is final and he cannot allow another player's opinion to distort his own which he had already to, to distort any decision which he has already given because that just opens the box for so many other different issues to arise so yeah there's really nothing sterling could have done and lastly i'm just going to talk about this match monaco lost four goals to nil at home to club bruges Thierry Henry seems like he really doesn't know what's going on. He seems quite clueless. He has really not um, given any kick up the backside to this team since he came on. In fact, all indications show that they're actually a lot worse than they were even before he came. These guys are just losing to every team. Bruges hadn't gotten a win in the Champions League in 13 years, and they spanked Monaco in the Principality Stadium, four goals to nil. That's just, yeah, it was a very shocking result. And Henri definitely has some, has his work cut out for him. But I don't really blame him because the players are not that great. Monaco's scouting system, we all know it's very good. It's one of the best in the world. But they didn't do themselves any favors by just selling all of their players from that great team of of two seasons ago. They literally sold sold all those guys in in two transfer windows. Literally every single good player they had, they sold in two transfer windows. I think that's just like, come on, like exercise some caution. Don't just like sell them. And they didn't reinvest the money. It's not like they used that money to go and buy some expensive players. No, they went to go and scout again and just trust that their scouting system would pay off once again. And also signing Thierry Henry is, was such a big risk for such a precarious position signing somebody who has literally a zero track record of managerial success he has never been a full-time a first team like manager for any club or national team his only position was assistant coach at belgium so to give like such an untested personality that kind of job was is just like so such a huge risk and i don't know if it's going to pay off but they definitely need to get a turn in fortunes very very soon europa league bate borisov nil chelsea won Giroud finally got his first goal of the season good for him chelsea won that match and they're definitely going to qualify from the group and then arsenal nil sporting lisbon nil the biggest highlight from this match was the danny welbeck ankle injury he suffered a really really nasty injury i didn't i haven't really seen any pictures with detail like that show exactly how badly his ankle was hurt but i did see Gwenduzi's reaction and Gwenduzi's face just told a like a really bad story it looked like welbeck was going through absolute pain it looked, like, it looked like a really really nasty injury and the whole football world has been coming out to give him messages of support and yeah it seems like he's going to be out for a very very long time so i wish him the best of luck hopefully he comes back bigger better and stronger so yeah best of luck to danny welbeck now to the fixtures 
for this week, Premier League, and it's the Manchester Derby, the first Manchester Derby of the season with Manchester City at home versus United. This is a highly anticipated match, especially more so because of United's current form. If if this was if this match had taken up had taken place three weeks ago, I don't think the hype would have been that huge because everybody would have expected City to get like a very easy win against United, and I think most people still expect City to get the win. But Manchester United are definitely going to be going into this match with a lot more hope. Uh, fans are definitely going to be more optimistic about this match because of United's last few comeback wins. But I'm going to say, though, that if United's plan is to react in the second half, that's just not going to be a good idea because Manchester City are very capable of beating you by three goals to nil within the first 20 minutes, as they did last week against Southampton. So, um, yeah, Jose, that's not really going to be a good idea this time. I think from the get-go, from the first minute, United need to defend with their lives. They need to really protect protect that box, protect the defense. And yeah, I really don't know how they're going to do it because we have seen that the most successful approaches to defeating Manchester City have been by pressing them high up the pitch, pressing them in their own half actually and destabilizing their passing play. And then also not allowing those aerial balls that um, the keeper gives that Edison gives and that some of the players in the defense and the midfield are capable of giving as well. So really, those are the ways to stop Manchester City. But the thing is, Jose Mourinho's tactics have nothing to do with high press. So I don't know how he's going to do this. Also, Lukaku is still a doubt for the match. And it appears that Pogba also picked up some sort of injury during training because he didn't train with the squad on Friday. And so he's going to be a doubt as well. And without Pogba, I I don't know if United can really pull anything out. I think the best thing they can just hope for is a draw. But that being said, though, the last three visits of United to the Etihad Stadium have actually ended up with two draws and a win for United. City have not won any of the last Manchester derbies at the Etihad. So Pep, yeah, since Pep came, since Pep was um came to Manchester City, he has not defeated United at the Etihad. So I guess that is indication that maybe United can get something out of it. I hope they can. I sincerely pray to God that they do get something out of it, but I don't know. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna stick my neck out here and say United are gonna get a win or a draw. Because as good as United have been, City have been that much better. They have just been excellent been creating so many chances scoring goals absolutely obliterating teams that they that anything that has come in their path and on top of that the defense has actually improved since last season they i usually like whenever they would have games where they um won by four or five goals they also usually concede that one goal like late in the second half like towards the dying minutes of the match and actually, the the goal that they conceded against Southampton was the first goal that they conceded in like six or seven matches. So their defense, yeah, is actually a lot tighter than it used to be. So it's going to be a tough match. But I'm definitely looking forward to this. Let's see how it goes. Then we've got Crystal Palace 
versus Spurs, another London derby. Palace is definitely going to be up for this match. They were quite unlucky, I think, against Chelsea. I think they played a lot better than the result showed. Zaha was constantly a menace against Chelsea, and I don't see any difference in this match. I think he's going to continue to torment defences like he always does. And them being at home gives them a good shot. This is actually the third straight London derby where they, they played Arsenal, Chelsea, and now Spurs. They were able to get a draw against Arsenal in the, in Selhurst Park, and I think they can do the same against Spurs. Spurs have been quite shaky. They got a very well-deserved win against Wolves last week. It was actually a very tough match for them to go to, the, to Wolves Stadium and get the win. Yes, Wolves has, haven't been in that great form, but Wolves have really stepped up against big teams. And for Spurs to get that win, in fact, they were 3-0 up at one point, and then it looked like Wolves were going to come back, but they stuck out till the end. It was a good win for them, and we'll see how it goes. But overall, Spurs have been quite shaky this season. They've got the points, but they haven't really had the performances to match the points that they have. So let's see how this one goes. We've got Liverpool versus Fulham. This should be a very straightforward win for Liverpool. This is the perfect match for them to bounce back from that loss midweek in the Champions League. And Fulham are just so poor. They have such exciting players in the team, but it seems like the coach is just tactically poor. I mean, how do you set up a newly promoted team to just play open attacking football against every team they come across? It's just not a good formula for them, and that's why they've only won one match, and they haven't kept a clean sheet this whole season. They have the worst defensive record, and it's probably just going to get worse this time around. I don't really see how much longer the coach can keep his job if they keep on performing like this. In all honesty, though, they do play well. I actually like their style of play. He has a very exciting style of play, but he doesn't have the players. Come on. Like, yes, I know they signed Seri. They've got Sessignon. They've got Andre Scherler and Alexander Mitrovic. But they are a newly promoted team. Their defense is shambolic. And, yeah, they just don't have the squad to be playing open attacking football against Premier League teams, established Premier League teams. And I have a feeling he's going to have the same approach in this match and it's just not going to be good news for him. He's going to get absolutely walloped. I'm sure Liverpool is going to get a really convincing win from this. I wish I had Mohamed Salah in my fantasy team because this would have just been a perfect week to make him my captain. I do have Mane and I'm considering making him my captain, but I'm not, I'm not really sure. I'll see. Next match, we've got Chelsea versus Everton. Um, Hazard should be back for this match. He played midweek in the Europa League, so he definitely should be starting this match after the rest he got against Burnley and against um, Crystal Palace. So I'm expecting all three points. Everton have also been quite poor defensively this season, and they never, ever do well against top six teams away from home. They just don't ever get the win. So I don't really see anything different happening this time. Chelsea is definitely going to defeat Everton and continue to go from strength to strength. Last week, they had an impressive victory against Crystal Palace. As I said, Palace played quite well, very, very well, in fact. But they were without Hazard. Hazard only came on in the second half. Well, Hazard actually came on in the second half and got the assist for the winning goal. But, yeah, they have... The Chelsea is good. Like, they've kind of shown, they've shown that they don't necessarily need Hazard to get wins. 
Morata is also coming back in form, having four goals in his last four games. Giroud finally got his first goal midweek. And yeah, the other players just, they seem to be working as a very good team unit, which is just great to see. Then we've got Arsenal versus Wolves. That should be another interesting, very entertaining match. I'm looking forward to this one. Arsenal are still undefeated, 13 straight games now. They could extend this to 14. And let's see if they do. They're at home, so that should definitely help. And I see this match ending up with a lot of goals. I hope that's what happens. La Liga. Barcelona is going up against Real Betis. Messi might come back for this match. I read that he's actually going to be the one to decide whether he wants to play the match or not. So it's all up to the little man. And if it's up to him, I'm predicting that he's definitely going to say he's ready to play. So I think Messi is going to be back for this match at home against Real Betis. Should be an easy three points for Barcelona and they'll stay at the top of the table. Salta Vigo versus Real Madrid. This is going to be an interesting, tricky match for Solari. It's going to be his second away. Okay, no, his third away match, actually. But yeah, his his first away match in the league. It's going to be against Salta Vigo, who do know how to get results against any opposition in their home stadium. So it's going to be a tough match for him. Then we've got Atletico Madrid versus Athletic Bilbao. That should be another interesting match. Atletico Madrid, definitely title contenders. Hope they can get the win. And then we've got Sevilla versus Espanyol, which is a showdown between the third on the table, which is Sevilla, versus the second in the table, Espanyol. So this is definitely going to be a very, very difficult match for both teams. They're going to be out to really play well to get the win. And I, well, I actually hope Sevilla gets the win. Because I think they're the stronger team between the two. And they're the only ones, besides from Atletico Madrid, who seem like they can also go the distance this time around. So hopefully Sevilla gets the win and goes back up to second place. Then Serie A, the standout match for that one is going to be AC Milan versus Juventus. AC Milan are finally back in the top four. They're in fourth position. And they are going up against Juventus. AC Milan have had some good results, but... It's just similar to Spurs. They haven't really had the most exciting performances to match the results that they've been getting. But that being said, they should definitely be up for this match against Juventus. There was a slight doubt about Iguain's fitness, but it seems like he's going to be fit for the match. And Juventus have an excellent opportunity to bounce back from their, win- from their loss against United. And... I'm sure the AC Milan state the crowd the crowd at the San Siro is going to be energetic, loud, and really, really up for this match. It's gonna be a very exciting match to watch. Then we've got Genoa versus Napoli. Atalanta versus Inter Milan. Inter Milan are now in second place on the table, um, overtaking Napoli. And then we've got Roma versus Sampdoria. Roma are definitely not playing well in the league they're mid-table they're like eighth or ninth and they need a string of wins to get back into top four contention then the Bundesliga we've got the Der Klassiker we've got Borussia Dortmund versus Bayern Munich and yeah this looks like it's going to be another very very interesting interesting match um, for the first time in a very long time Dortmund are actually going 
into this match as favorites, they're also at home. So that just increases the chances of getting the win. And Bayern are just looking like they're in shambles at the moment. They got the win midweek, but in the league, they actually drew 1-1 at home. And it seems like Niko Kovac is, fin- is finally losing the dressing room. Since like, there are a lot of issues, especially with the really established guys. We're talking um, Ribery, Robin, and of course, Thomas Muller. Um, Muller was actually the one who had the biggest um, controversy last week. Because one, um, during the match, he, he started from the bench and was put in in the second half. And then when he, when he came on, his wife, I don't know if she went on Instagram or Twitter, but she basically said something along the lines of, oh, now the genius decides to put him on Jack in the 70th minute when there's little chance of, of them getting a result. And so it seems that there's just a lot of, a lot of conflict, a lot of tension in the dressing room. And it's not surprising to see because that's what's leading to the poor results. But that being said, we all know Bayern have the quality. They still have better players than Dortmund do, by far. And it wouldn't shock me if they got the win. If they don't get a win, though, it will be seven points between the two. It will be a seven-point gap for Dortmund at the top of the table. And Dortmund are still undefeated, actually, in the league. So, yeah, Dortmund have a very, very good chance to really go ahead and place themselves firmly as title favorites for the season. Then league on, we've got Monaco versus PSG. I feel so bad for Monaco, man. I feel bad for Henri because this is just not the match he needs to be playing right now. He can get another absolute pasting from this match. And if they do, I really don't know if Monaco are going to continue to keep him in charge. But yeah, Monaco look like they're going to get relegated. They're still bottom of the table. They only have one win since the start of the season. PSG, on the other hand, have won all of their matches. So I don't really see any hope for Monaco at all. And and then lastly, we've got the Copa Libertadores final, which is going to be between the eternal rivals of Boca Juniors and River Plate. It's a two-legged affair with the first leg being played at Boca Juniors Stadium. This is the potentially the biggest rivalry in world football. It's going to be a very, very intense rivalry. It's called the Super Classico. For those of you who don't know, this is called the Super Classico of Argentina. Both teams play for uh, play in Buenos Aires. And the Copa Libertadores is basically the equivalent of the Champions League in South America. And this is the first time ever that the final is being played between Boca Juniors and River Plate. And um, yeah, these guys have a really intense rivalry. Boca Juniors are like the blue-collar club of Buenos Aires. And River Plate are like the more upscale club in the city. And... um, it's going to be very, very difficult to handle the fans because past matches between the two have led to a lot of violence. I heard that there was one match where the, I think this was in the Boca Stadium, where the Boca fans were basically able to drill a tunnel into the away, um, to, to, to drill into the tunnel, into the dugout, and were basically throwing tear gas at the River Plate players. So you can just imagine, like, yeah, this is just, like, one example of how crazy the, the, the games go. 
and it's going to be very very difficult to handle the fans uh it's going to be interesting to see it's also a two-legged affair it's a two-legged final so the first leg is at Boca stadium and the second one is at river stadium so yeah the security authorities are going to have their hands filled for this match and the hype though the hype is really intense there's a lot of hype around this from all over the world a lot of um a lot of eyes are definitely going to be tuned in to watch this match and i actually saw that the media like the the requests for media tickets were 10 times more than the seating available at the Boca stadium for the media so this just goes to show you how many different countries um sports stations want to be there at the stadium to watch the match and yeah to broadcast the match i should say it's going to be a very interesting match the first leg is on saturday second leg is going to be november 24th at the river stadium and this is actually going to be the last two-legged final after this season it's going to be um neutral ground finals one-legged finals from now on but yeah the hype is real it's going to, going to be a very very exciting match copa libertadores final and then yes i said i was going to talk about the football leaks which have been um, a series of documents have been released over the past two weeks 70 million documents to be precise or over 70 million um released regarding emails between players clubs sponsors you name it like different sorts of stories and the biggest one actually that came out was the leak regarding the super league there was a an email leak between top clubs which shows that there's a proposed super league which is supposed to commence in 2021 and it's actually going to be a substitute for the champions league and the formats that it's going to run on, well, there isn't too much detail on the format, but basically it's going to be 11 permanent members who are guaranteed to be in the Super League for the next 20 years. And then there's going to be five guests. The 11 permanent members are, unsurprisingly, Real Madrid, Barcelona, Bayern Munich, Juventus, Manchester City, Manchester United, Liverpool, Arsenal, Chelsea, PSG and AC Milan. So these are going to be the 11 permanent members. And then the five guests are going to be Atletico Madrid, Marseille, Inter, Roma, and Borussia Dortmund. It's interesting that Spurs is even considered for this. That's just hilarious. But yeah, so the way it's going to work is that reportedly it's going to be relegation for the... So like the five guests, like any of them can get relegated. And then... After they get relegated, I guess there's going to be some sort of playoff to see who is invited for the next um, season's Super League. But yeah, that seems to be the way football is going, the direction that football is going into. I, for one, do not want this to happen at all, though it looks increasingly likely that it's going to happen at some point, even if it's not in 2021. It seems like it will happen at some point in the future. But I really don't see how this is good for football at all. It's really, really bad for the game. This is just going to be a case of the rich getting richer because the amount of money that is at stake in this Super League is actually mind-boggling. It's mind-blowing. So let's just put this into perspective. Real Madrid have won 100 million euros over the past three seasons that they have won the Champions League. So this is for winning the Champions League. They've won 100 million euros like over the past three seasons. 
But in one season in the Super League, even if they don't win it, they stand to win as much as 300 million euros. 300 million. That is just crazy money. That is stupid money. And yeah, so you can see the allure. You can see what is attracting them because we all know these teams are just all about the money. They keep on putting more and more pressure on UEFA and on FIFA to basically treat them on more favorable terms. This is why now the top four leagues are all guaranteed four spots in the Champions League. They're all, um, yeah, the, the top four leagues are all guaranteed four spots in the Champions League. And this was definitely a result of UEFA basically bending to the demands of the, of the top clubs, bending to the threats of leaving and starting up their own leagues. So, yeah, it's, it's not looking good. I don't, I'm not really a big fan of this at all. And I think it's really important that football fans really make their voices heard because I don't believe most football fans want to see this. I think we all love the current formats with the leagues and the Champions League because even though like it's only the Champions League that the teams are going to leave and they're going to continue playing in their, in their leagues, I think it's just a matter of time before they decide that, oh, I'm not even going to play in my league anymore because there's just so much more money to be made from just doubling down and playing in the Super League week in and week out. And yeah, it seems likely. Some are saying that it's not going to happen and that what's going to end up happening is that the bigger teams will just get will, will get guaranteed Champions League spots. So instead of the top four from the Premier League, for example, going to the Champions League, it's going to be like it's going to be Liverpool, United, City and maybe Arsenal or Chelsea, I don't know. They will all be guaranteed to play in the Champions League every season, regardless of what position they end up in the league. So if if United comes like seventh or sixth, they're gonna be in the Champions League guaranteed. It seems that like that's what's gonna happen. And that also seems likely because I think even though this Super League does not happen, I think definitely there are going to be changes to the current formats of the Champions League and, and regular league matches that that are just going to be completely diff- completely different from how they are run right now. I think that's yeah, it's just it's just bad news, man. It's it's not good for the game at all. It's not good for for the health of the game because it's just becoming so profit focused, so profit oriented and it's just going to be bad. Like the losers are going to be the smaller teams in the local leagues because like what if Real Madrid and Barcelona all of a sudden leave La Liga? Like who's gonna watch La Liga? If Reunited Liverpool, Chelsea, um Arsenal leave the Premier League, who's going to watch the Premier League? So this yeah, it has to be stopped. And I guess UEFA and FIFA have come out and said that they are going to fight it. FIFA has claimed that if they go on with the Super League, that players from those clubs are going to be banned from playing at World Cups. I think that's huge. That could definitely be a hindrance to this whole thing um, going to full fruition. But I don't know. I don't know how this is going to end up. It's not looking good, I don't think, because the amount of financial muscle that these clubs have is just is just too great. Like, these clubs combined, I'm pretty sure they make more money than all the other leagues' clubs combined. 
like and plus FIFA and plus UEFA. I I don't think that they make as much money as these clubs. So the the um ability to make decisions, the what do you call it, the bargaining power is definitely on the side of the clubs and it's just not good. Yeah, it's not good for the future of football. I think the only people who can really stop this from happening are the fans of these clubs. The fans from these clubs need to come out and say that they are not in favor of this Super League. We like the way the leagues are as imperfect as they are like right now. We like this format better than any proposed Super League that they want to come up with. So I hope this doesn't happen. But I'm sure there's going to be more news, more details to come out regarding this in the future. So I'll definitely update you guys as I see more and more news. And in addition to the football leagues, there was another um, story about PSG and Manchester City with their very sketchy business trying to circumvent financial fair play regulations and also just the ludicrous um, favors, ludicrous bonuses that PSG especially gives their players. So Manchester City, allegedly, it seems like they have created a shell company in the Cayman Islands, I believe, or I don't know where, but they have created a shell company and have basically been funneling money from their own official accounts to these accounts in the Cayman Islands so that they can hide their finances from UEFA and really hide their football dealings from UEFA. And PSG have done more or less the same. And... I do remember a few years back, both teams were actually sanctioned by UEFA for breaching financial fair play rules. They were both restricted to 50 million pound signings, I believe, to, to a total transfer market, to, total transfer spending of 50 million pounds one season. I remember it was the same season. I think that was when David Luiz, when PSG decided to spend the whole money on just buying David Luiz and Manchester City. I can't remember who they bought. But it was that season. They were both punished. And it seems like if they're caught again, like there's going to be even more severe punishments. We're talking about them maybe being excluded from next season's Champions League or something that drastic. But it seems like UEFA is not even really going to take this seriously and they're not going to go ahead and and actually pursue these stories and really put in like a solid investigation. But yeah, it's... Yeah, UEFA... The European Union could actually investigate as well. The Premier League could investigate. The UK and French governments can investigate as well. And I think definitely something should be done. Either a transfer ban, hefty, very, very hefty fines or something. But it's just not good. It's not good with these new owners coming into football, especially the Qatari and the Qatari and Emirati owners they are up to some fishy business and I really don't like the way they handle their business. I don't like what's been going on. In all fairness, yes, City have been run very, very well, but what's going on off the pitch is just not good. It's not great at all. PSG as well, like, look at the ridiculous luxuries they give. Like, Kylian Mbappe, apparently, he he gets £30,000 or, or euros a month for his rent excluding what he's already paid in his salary. He also has like a butler. He has like other like really ridiculous things. Neymar as well. And yeah, I don't know. It's just crazy, man. There's just way too much money involved here. And where there's so much money, it just leaves so much room for corruption and for fishy business. So it's just not good. I think something drastic needs to be done. 
and the, like all these stories tie in with the whole Super League because it's all about money. It's all about seeing how the football teams can get as much money as they possibly can and get away with it. So it's just, it's not healthy for the game at all. I think it's going to, I think that we as football fans need to definitely make our voices heard and show that we are not happy with these um, future proposals with the Super League and just the way clubs are finding ways to circumvent financial fair play regulations. I think that fans are definitely the only ones who can really put a stop to what is happening because the the teams are just way too powerful. They have way too much bargaining power that I really don't think UEFA, FIFA or the local leagues have any real power to stop these leagues from to stop these teams from leaving and forming their own league without to stop to stop and like form their own league i don't think the uefa and the other governing bodies have any power really to stop them because of how much financial muscle these clubs have put together so yeah even if you're not a fan or you're a fan of manchester city psg or the other clubs involved, just really understand that this is about the game, which we all love. It's about really fighting for its future. Because really the way I see this ending up is is football as a brand itself declining. If these proposed plans really go ahead, it's not going to be good, in my opinion. So we are definitely the ones who can put a stop to this madness, who can make it stop, because the leagues can't the governing bodies can't from all indications i don't think they can because if they could i don't think they would have been bending to um to all these requests in the past about allowing four teams four guaranteed spots for the top leagues in the champions league and so on and so forth i think if they were more powerful than they really are they would have not even agreed to those demands and yeah so football fans it's your it's your clarion call. Come out, make your voice heard. And yeah, so I think that's about it. Um, I'm sorry to end on this somber note, <laughs> but it definitely needed to be discussed. But yeah, there's a lot of football action to go and watch this weekend. So definitely put your focus on that. That should give you a lot of smiles. I'm definitely going to be looking forward to the games. And yeah, that's about it. So you can catch me once again on Twitter at DK Ballot. That's D-K-B-A-L-A-T. And on Instagram at D-Ballot. That's D-B-A-L-A-T. So thank you guys for listening. And I will talk to you again next week. Bye-bye.